This is the Criterion Creeps podcast. I'm Jarrett Duncan. Oh, and I am RJ Baylog. Yep, he's still here, folks. I'm still here. And us two fools who have no other choice now but to creep our way through the Criterion Collection once by number at a time in order of release. We do it so you don't have to. We're doing it for the love of the game, RJ. Don't hate me, man. Yeah. Hate hate this game, I guess. Yeah. The Is that cre- the same? The creeping that- the creeping game. <laughs> the creep game? I got a strong creep game, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that's why you uh you brought me on this rodeo. That's right. You're the mm-hmm. creepiest creep I know. I am actually the the audience can't see that, but there's a roll of toilet paper on my desk and Jarrett made a comment about it. It's not what you think. I just ran out of tissue, like Kleenex. <laughs> well, well, you haven't mentioned this. You cast from the toilet. Well, I'll leave that up to the viewers at home to decide. <laughs> you got to leave some things for the imagination, Jared. <laughs> well, I remember, like back in the uh, like kind of the World of Warcraft like heydays and stuff like that. There was like like there was things like gamer grub, and there was like guys <laughs> who had their like. Uh, like toilet gaming rigs where they had like mm-hmm. everything they needed like fridge and like everything was reachable and the laptop and they just sat on the toilet so they wouldn't have to get up like i i honestly have mm-hmm. never been in a gaming situation where i couldn't just walk away for a sec like that just that doesn't exist but well um, you don't have the dedication and no cur- and the courage to do said things like that's the commitment i bring to this podcast my swivel chair actually is bottomless into a uh, a bucket so I am I am committed to the Criterion, and I hope that uh, they hear this, the Criterion Collection themselves, and yeah. they take that as a hot endorsement. Yeah, they're they're going to hear it, man. They're We're ready it. for sponsor, sponsorship, guys. Come yeah. on. Yeah, just send us that uh, free swag. Free we'll, swag. Yeah, we'll wear Criterion C t-shirts while we cast mm-hmm. that no one else can see. I think right. it'll benefit all of us. Um, well, so, hey, RJ, we, we've got a podcast theme song now. Uh, I do, or I noticed that. Um, to the audience, though, it'll be like it was always there. Exactly, yeah. yeah. This yeah. might not make any sense to announce this on the fifth episode of a podcast you've now I've listened to uh, the last four episodes with mm-hmm. the exact same theme song as this one. But, hey, that's podcast magic for you. That is magic. I, I take all credit for said things. Yeah. Um, well, for the editing, uh, the creation of the song, and pretty much everything uh everything in between so yeah uh send your gifts to me i accept monetary um presents mm-hmm. so yeah take that as you will yeah um i guess uh maybe like long overdue but i guess we could probably get uh mention to folk that they could follow us on the twitter uh mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. Uh, at criterion creeps uh we've got ourselves an email address for your feedback that is criterion creeps at gmail.com uh, we might even mm-hmm. check it sometimes. Might even log we, in and see if anyone uh, has uh, messaged us. Uh, mm-hmm. There's there's a Tumblr page that uh, at this moment has nothing on it, and that's criteriancreeps.tumblr.com. Um, and right now we're posting on SoundCloud. Hopefully that's mm-hmm. its permanent home, but uh, you never know. Uh, we're just waiting for that iTunes and Stitcher game to accept us as we are. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's beautiful beings making podcasts worthy for listeners ears um yeah so i think that's it for the introductory stuff uh quick quick uh fact checked i got fact checked this week from Uh um, what'd you do from a couple of listeners here uh well 
uh, a couple episodes ago, I think when we were talking about uh, Alfred Hitchcock, uh, mm-hmm. uh, I think I talked about Haystack's Calhoun, and I talked to him as if he were a British man. This was mm-hmm, not. Mm-hmm. This is not true. Uh, that, I was confusing. What? Yeah, Haystack's. Uh, he was American. Um, no, the the British big man uh, was giant Haystack's. You can see how you know it's. Oh uh, my! I know. God. I mean, like, why does anyone even bother listening to me? I'm I'm not going to. I might just rip the mic out of the computer, throw it out the window. Because if you're going to bring that amount of inappropriate, sloppy journalism, kind of journalism to yeah. this thing, then I don't even know what I'm here for. I bring nothing to you but hard-hitting facts. Yeah. So you R- gotta you gotta shape that up, buddy. Yeah. Uh, RJ is all about the facts. Um, the facts, yeah, yeah. And, and the other one uh, was more of a nitpick. Uh, when I was talking, after we were talking about uh, I am Thor, I was mm-hmm. uh, misidentifying uh, those like hot water balloons. Uh, I was <laughs> calling them balloons, not hot water bottles. Oh, um, I didn't even notice that. Yeah, so no, you, you tricked me, I guess. <laughs> but I won't stand for it. Nope. Nor yeah. nor should you, listeners. Nor- Just quit us. Yeah. <laughs> And I would like to make a correction from uh, whatever episode I was talking about the Hellbenders. Yeah. Uh, I was talking about how I enjoyed it because that old guy punched a lot of people. Yeah. But listening back to it, it sounded like I said that I enjoyed it because he was punching ladies all the time, Mm -hmm. which let me just be clear. I do not endorse man punching old women. I just enjoyed that he punched everybody regardless of, you know, any kind of anything you don't you don't publicly condone those things no but come come talk to me uh behind the uh publicly, the pizza hut yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah behind the pizza hut is where i usually hang out that's where i am right now recording this episode yeah, i'll can. post um a picture of my setup behind pizza hut uh in on the twitter sometime right yeah yeah well hey um so you and i just went to see a movie together at the old uh cineplex at the theater yeah, that's true. Uh, we had planned to see a movie. It was a hot movie that uh, just came out fresh, which uh, we'll timestamp this episode as topical. Yeah. But uh, I'm a little disappointed because you uh, refused to go into the D-Box seat with me, and I've yet to try these mechanical wonders. Well, uh, as I've told you before, I think the first time you ever brought up uh, D-Boxing, I had no idea what you were talking about, and the, my only like reference point for that was thinking of D-Pants from Tim and Eric. Um, and mm. I was like, no, I, I don't want to go into the D-Box with you, RJ. <laughs> well, how see? are those two things different? I thought it was the same thing. Uh, depending on how you use it. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. so we, we used some uh, Creeps Pasts, uh, passes, oh, yeah. uh that mm-hmm. you snagged us. And uh, yep. we went and uh, took in a little uh, uh, Fede Alvarez film called Don't Breathe from this very year. Because it's in theater and shit. Not old balls movies. And, uh, yeah, so we went and checked that out. Um, I guess, like, from the theatrical experience, uh, it was, like, mm, a quarter full. But we went to a noon show, so it's not exactly, mm-hmm. like, probably most people don't view, like, horror, thriller type of stuff as, like, midday viewing. But that's never stopped us before. Creeps like us, you want, you yeah. take it any way you can get it. Well, like, one of my favorite things right now is, like, this is, like, probably the th- third like horror movie we've seen like in the middle of the day on a like a mm-hmm. on a weekend and like we keep seeing the same one guy or a uh, long yeah. white haired dude 
Yeah, um, the I, uh, the wizard. The wizard, yeah. The um, wizard. He, he seems like a pretty cool guy. Obviously, he's got uh, excellent taste in film, uh, as we keep mm-hmm. seeing him at everything we go to. But yeah, it's just like kind of like we show up and then we just see him because he's like he stands out and he's like he's by himself and it's like oh because he was at the witch. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure I saw him at something else maybe too, but because he's just like yeah, he's just like he doesn't look like regular folk. He's like not like an old old man or anything like that. He's probably no. like, like late 30s or early 40s, but he just has like his really long white hair. Like he's I just think, a silver fox. Yeah, he's not. He's just a silver fox. I think that's the word you're looking for. Yeah. So I yep. mean, like, hey, buddy. I mean, uh, if you're out there, let us know. Um, you're you're you seem like a cool dude. <laughs> mm-hmm. I can only assume that he's listening to the show because he has the same taste in us, or yeah. same taste in movies as us. And you're correct. Uh, the first time we encountered him was at the witch, which was pretty funny because it was you, me, him, and then uh, two uh, ladies that uh, looked like they were pretty heavy into the uh, the Wiccan scene. So yeah. that was a good that was a good theater experience for me. But yeah. uh, there was there was definitely one more. Uh, I can't remember what it was, but yeah, he does stand out in a in a good way. So. You know, hopefully he'll hear this, and next time he can just spot our creepy demeanor and come sit by us. Yeah. Reach out to yeah. us. Re- reach out to us on the uh, the cr- Criterion Creeps uh, email, yeah. if you can. Just creep it real. Just put the, the subject heading as Silver Fox, and we'll we'll know who you are. Yeah, please yeah. do. Um, so, hey, uh, RJ... Do, do, uh, so first of all, folks, this is going to be spoiler filled. So if you are planning on watching this movie, uh, just don't just don't listen to this part. Just skip ahead or come mm-hmm. back to it after you've watched it, because we're delving deep into those spoilers and talking about spoilers. Yeah, yeah. So but that's what it's all about on the here. Mm-hmm. RJ, uh, do you want to recap this movie a little bit? Uh, yeah, sure. I'll give you a rundown. That's do a new. Uh, that's yeah. a treat for me. Oh man. <laughs> Oh, one sec. Uh, come back. Get continue. Okay, I'm I'm moving up in the world, man. Yeah. Um. Okay. So this movie it opens and you see a couple of hoodlums, uh, three uh, semi late teenagers, early twenty somethings. Uh, you see them breaking into a house with the aid of uh the the clean cut boy. He has access to the security system. So it's you got a, a good-looking kid, you got the um, nice female lead, and then you got the dirty boy with the corn, cornrows, who is the boyfriend who nobody roots for. Uh, so you see them bra- uh, breaking into a house, and then you kind of see their interactions, how they use the clean boy, clean-cut boy's uh, father's security system business to target out houses to break into. They use the... Uh, the security system to de- uh, disarm it, go break into it, arm it again, and then break it so that no one is the wiser. Um, I think after a while, people would probably figure out that just this one guy's independent security system was getting burgled a lot. But r- anyways, so uh, these guys are breaking into houses, and then you learn that uh, the the cornrows boy gets a hot tip that there is a old military man who lives in a dirty part of town that's basically completely deserted in the slums of Detroit, but uh, he's the, the last man standing, as they, they say it. And uh, the hot tip they got is that a couple of years back, this guy's uh, daughter was involved in a hit, um, in a vehicular accident. She was run over, uh, and she died. And the family of the, the driver 
uh, was well well off, so they reached a big settlement. Uh, so they go in thinking that, hey, this old guy lives out in the middle of nowhere. He's got at least a couple hundred thousand dollars. That's what the settlement kind of suggested. And uh, we think that maybe this guy keeps his money in his house and not in a bank. So the, the, t- the kids kind of debate on whether or not they want to go in there. You find out that the young girl kind of lives in a unsafe environment with her younger kid sister and she would like to get in on this hot money so she can get out uh so they all kind of after some deliver or after some talk they they go to it or they decide they're going to do it so they wait till the night they break into this old guy um they find out the old guy is blind they break into his house they set up a, a nifty little bottle chloroform device to try to knock him out and then they proceed to burgle his house looking for the money little do they know the old man is not knocked out he wakes up he grabs the cornrows guy and uh he lays into him pretty good and he kills him and then the clean cut boy and the hot teen or the hot young female lead are stuck inside the house with the blind man feeling around with his daredevil-esque super senses uh he's feeling around they're trying to avoid him and then uh that's basically the premise it's it's like a reverse home invasion the bunch of teen kids break into a house but then little do they know that Stephen lang lives there from avatar and he's real buff and he's blind and he's got super hearing and uh he's basically hunting them in his they're locked inside his house now yeah so i think that was a, probably a little long but uh yeah, I've had, it covers it man yeah, so I think that's that's basically the setup, right? Yeah. And so, then now we can get into the nitty-gritty. All right, so uh, this is kind of like how I'm going to begin my way of talking about this movie. RJ, have you seen People Under the Stairs? Uh, I have, and I, um, I'm i not even kidding. I thought of that exact... There's a scene in this movie where I thought of it immediately. RJ, yeah. do, you, do you like murders? Uh, <laughs> that's, that's a hard question to answer. Um... <laughs> I'll say this: Martyrs the, is a very well done. The original uh, Martyrs, not the uh, unnecessary remake. Yeah, we're not into that remake stuff, but yeah. Uh, no, yeah, Martyrs is a v- a very well done, uh, effective horror movie. It uh, I watched it last year with my roommate, and I'm not even kidding. Uh, it broke him, and for three days he was pretty emotionally unstable. So it's all true. That that is um, that's my hot recommendation for Martyrs. RJ, do you like 10 in Cloverfield Lane? Absolutely. You know why. RJ, do you like Wait Until Dark, Hush, and other disability home invasion fusion horror films? Absolutely. Do you like Cujo? Do you like The Wizard? Do you like Pink Flamingos? Well, if you don't have time to watch all those movies, check out Don't Breathe. Mm-hmm. That's about... Uh, this movie is just laden with like film references and like just like i don't know um i'd say the first hour of the movie i didn't i wasn't crazy about i (laughs) thought it was like really derivative of a lot of stuff i mean the movie's really well made um fede alvarez uh directed that evil dead remake um speaking of remakes which Mm -hmm. i thought was pretty okay it's pretty good i mean i I mean it's it's gonna be uh kind of insurmountable to like make something that's gonna beat like the evil dead and evil dead 2 uh, like it's mm-hmm. just going to be like good luck. Um, but I mean, he, he made something a little bit different, like really a beautiful looking film with just, uh, quite the gory aesthetic. Um, yeah. 
And so, yeah, I thought he did a good, good then, job. Did then, a good job. Yeah, and then like before that, I mean, like his only real thing of note was that uh, panic attack short that he got all famous for. Um, mm-hmm. And there's actually a really good interview, or at least uh, he's he comes off as a really great interview on the uh, Shockwave show that they did with him a couple weeks ago. Like he just comes off as like a very like yeah. smart, articulate guy. Um, so actually, in that show, it probably pushed me toward wanting to check this movie at all or check it out because I I had no idea this movie existed until maybe mm-hmm. that I listened to that, and then you were mentioning that you'd seen the trailer and you were interested in seeing it. But mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. like the first hour or so, I kind of was like, eh, it's not bad. But I mean, the other movie I, I kept thinking about over and over and over again was Green Room, which yeah, um, yeah, like, absolutely, the, which I think is probably going to be the best movie of this year for me. Um, like so I, far, it is. Yeah, like and so I mean, there's like the one thing uh, in your recap that you forgot to uh, mention was the dog, uh, which will come up. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. but uh, like so I mean, yeah, like there's that. Uh, the lead actor in um, Don't Breathe, he has sort of that Anton Yelchin-ish quality to him too, which kind of like made me sad thinking Mm -hmm. about that now. He's from uh, Goosebumps fame. He was in that hit Jack Black movie, Goosebumps. And uh, he was also in the, um, the speaking of remakes, he was in the remake of Let the Right One In. Let Me Me In. Let Me In. He was the uh, the bully uh, nemesis of the main character. Okay. So um, he he seems pretty good. His name's yeah. like Dylan Millet or something like okay. that. Yeah, and then like was the the lead actress in Don't Breathe? She, was she in um, Evil she's Dead? She's in Yeah, she's yeah, okay. in Evil Dead. And I, I really uh, recognized her face. Like she's got a really yeah. expressive uh, like set of eyes on her. So I mm-hmm. kept thinking like, oh yeah, that's the same girl. Like because I remember her dead eyeing or something like that. I think. Um, yeah, that's uh, Jane Levy. She's from Evil Dead, and then she was in a. A um a pretty underrated sit, uh, sitcom called Suburgatory. Uh, I might be revealing too much of my own interests, but uh, it's it's not a bad show. People well, should check it out. Well, she RJ, was the lead in that too. Well, RJ, as we were talking about in the theater, like I'm really unhip to these young kid actors these days. Yeah, uh, I can't remember the name of the one girl uh, who I was like, that is that a girl's name? And then you're like, what? You've never heard of what's her face? <laughs> I don't even remember. Oh. Like the only movie I'd ever seen her in was Terminator oh. Salvation and Bryce then, Dallas Howard. Yeah, Bryce. See, I I worked with yeah. a like. Uh, very large 500 pound man named Bryce. So when mm-hmm. I see Bryce and I see this like little, little cute blonde or uh, red haired girl, I'm like, Bryce, eh? That's because uh, Jared Duncan has never seen the village. So he has yeah. no, no bearing on uh, one of Ron Howard's uh, spawns. There you go. Mm-hmm. Um, but so yeah, like, all the performances were fine. Uh, S- Stephen Lang, he, when he starts talking at the end of the movie, it's kind of like he's got this. It's, it's like so, it's really weird. Yeah, like um, it comes off really unnatural, like as if yeah. like they tweaked it, like on the soundboard a little bit to make it like more menacing or something, like to give it nails. You know, were they like uh, Tom uh, Tom Brady uh, baning him? <laughs> yeah, like I don't know. Is yeah, like as soon as he starts talking near the end, you're just like, "What the fuck?" You're like, "That's not what his voice should sound like." And then, and then he like kind of levels off, but like, yeah. yeah, it's weird. I don't know. So yeah, the first hour, like, my God, we're running in circles. The first hour of the movie, I was kind of like, "Yeah, this is just okay." Um, and yep. then the last half hour kind of kicks in, and then it starts kind of turning into its own thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel that like the one thing that really kind of overshadows this movie for me is uh 
the Detroit setting because for me, like we're, we're living in the a world where It Follows just came out like a couple years ago, and that movie yeah. really kind of like like made like set used Detroit just beautifully, masterfully. Um, mm-hmm. And now here we are again in the same sort of setting. So just like automatically, it feels derivative in like uh, not in a way that okay. like the filmmakers like are derivative of it, but it seems like there's so many references in this film to like so much, so many good things. Um, right. I don't know if I, maybe people under the, people under the stairs, maybe it's not a good movie, but it's like, I mean, that's also Detroit, right? <laughs> uh, maybe I don't, I don't think anyone has ever said that that is a, a good movie. Like that might be some people's favorite movies or favorite movie for other reasons, but yeah. I've never considered that a, air quote good movie no. but it does have like vin rames in it or something right yes yes yeah because yeah. they're because so they're, they're home because right? they're breaking into a house and then they get walked yeah. in too but instead of uh weird uh blind dudes and other things it's uh mutants right uh or it's like crazy christian weirdos oh right. you know what it's uh people under the stairs is los angeles Okay. Yeah. Well, you're wrong again, yeah. bud. Well, hey, I at least I uh, got it in the one episode. Yeah. Well, I, I uh, I'll give Fide the benefit of the doubt here, and I'll say that maybe this was in production well before uh, it follows came out. But oh, I don't def- know. Maybe. probably. I mean, how couldn't you use but, Detroit as a backdrop to your horror yeah. film? <laughs> I'm I'm sure it was. Uh, I'm sure it did influence it a bit if it came out around the time they were filming yeah. this. Maybe they added a few more sky shots of all the dilapidated houses and just the ruin that is Detroit. Yeah. So like I, I imagine that all because the, there's a lot of overhead shots in this movie too. Like they're yeah, really absolutely. nice too. Like just like mm-hmm. there's like central like shots of like those streets and I imagine they're being shot with drones. It was the feeling oh, I had. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. I, I imagine he just threw the camera really hard like from one end of the street and a guy on the other end of the street caught it. Right. Is that not how they film this stuff? Yeah. Or yeah, just like freehand not even on a zip line. Yeah, no, he just okay. threw it like like yeah. Brett. Favre, he gets Brett Favre to come in for a little bit, and he just like he just fires that fucking pigskin. Whoa, that's, that's a little uh, varsity blues uh, quotes there for you guys. <laughs> Those James Vanderbeek fans out there will get it. Get, <laughs> yeah, he might be listening. They're out there. Um, yeah. Yeah. So. Uh... <laughs> So okay, so you've covered the first hour. That, that's how I feel about and the I think, movie in general. It gets okay. Um, like there's a lot of like oh, this happens to every horror movie ever made. I think nowadays it seems like something comes out and everyone who saw it first has it as like the best horror movie they've seen in years, like best horror movie of the decade. And right. that's just a death sentence to, for any movie. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know very many things that have ever like lived up to that for me in the last like few years but it happens all the time and yeah. so there's always like oh well this has got to be it but i mean i usually don't let those things impact me but i sometimes kind of start shaking my head when i hear people say that's like the best horror movie in years and then i'm watching and i'm going is this really it because it's not it, it really yeah. so so <clears throat> folks it's a very entertaining movie um yeah. it's like it's very similar to 10 cloverfield lane which i had problems with too where like it's like entertaining it's a roller coaster movie there's things in it that just don't make sense because who cares if uh somebody appears somewhere in the house where they couldn't possibly have moved that quick it doesn't matter because it's a movie and it's like a uh total theatrical experience um Mm -hmm. i'm sure you you liked that movie until the big kind of turn with 
like the housemates and then when there's escapes and stuff i think yeah that's where it kind of just yeah. kind of get going and i mean this movie uh i think is able to kind of not fall into that trap in fact it's got mm-hmm. a very more of a uh, similar structure to something like texas chainsaw massacres like kind of final mm-hmm. act where like you think someone's being or like you know your lead actress is like she's getting away getting away getting away but then she gets dragged right back in and it's kind of one of those things where you're like oh no but at the same time it's because you don't want Mm, you, you thought I don't know it's kind of like half like you want her to get away but at the same time you're also like oh why is this movie still going mm-hmm. um, and that's like sometimes a fine line that movies kind of go into danger t- dangerous territory as far as scripting goes where it's like yeah. how ridiculous can things really get and I think the movie kind <clears> of <throat> skirts that I think it stays on the positive side of it yep um, I didn't think it was too ridiculous but uh, right. I could see other people interpreting it as that and just to be clear we're talking about the turkey baster scene oh man <laughs> so okay this is where the the big spoilers because I'm pretty sure that that's like got to be like the big talking point thing that people like yeah your casual fan is gonna be like, what the fuck is that because mm-hmm. it's Cre- so- creeps like us it's like whatever well I'm I used mean, to that every I, day I, that's when I started laughing <laughs> yeah I know yeah so you, I mean, you were laughing and my my mouth was gaped. Yeah. So spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. So what happens is our our lead actress. Uh, it appears that she's basically now in like the martyr's position of like now and she's now like locked up in the basement and she's trapped and there's like no mm-hmm. one knows where she's at. She's now trapped with like the maniac um, mm-hmm. veteran and uh, uh, his his whole game was that he actually kidnapped the woman who killed his daughter and mm-hmm. he was keeping her in his basement uh, for what was expected to be about nine months because he had impregnated her with his own semen to give himself a new daughter. Um, it was but, a tit for tat yeah. thing. He and said, so, you took a child, so I want a new one. And since this movie isn't like, this isn't even like a hard R movie or anything like that. Like it's, I think, 14A mm-hmm. uh, up here in Kanata. Um but uh, so you're like, whoa, whoa! It's like people start going, man, this is going to go into rape territory because, yeah. uh, oh shit! Like he just said, like, well, now you have to make up for the fact that, well, now that she's been inadvertently killed by you breaking into my place, you now you get to be her replacement, and you're like, oh, oh! But no, it, it goes a little step further, and this is where it goes into uh, Pink Flamingos territory, where one mm-hmm. of the, one of the scenes I vividly remember from Pink Flamingos is a man. Uh, jerking off into his own hand and then he uses a turkey baster to suck up his ejaculate and then put it into a woman's vagina um so who hasn't done that uh, yeah and so everyone kind of recognizes this behavior because everyone does it and they're like oh i know how this goes down so we got a hot plate we get some frozen jizz uh getting warmed up we get the Mm -hmm. the turkey baster right on hand and this i i'm just laughing at this point because this is like so funny to me because i'm just thinking about the people in the audience who are like are like comprehending what this is Mm -hmm. um and then, like, yeah, you get the, the the best bit is like you get a shot of just like the ejaculate, like there it is. The it's com- it's zooming. It's yep. very like Requiem for a Dream, where yeah, like yes, like the things like fill up really fast, but, and it's like r- right on like a cherry on top. You get a nice like pube. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, he's blind. He can't like pick wow. that stuff yeah. out. A pube's not not going to help or hurt the virility of the the stooge. No. And so, yeah. um, and then you get this like great shot of him walking toward her because she's like, uh, like strapped into this uh, mechanism, surrounded by pillows, just hoisted up in the air on a uh, 
levy of Stack some sort. Swing. And then she's and he's like taking the knife to open up a nice little thatch right on uh, across uh-huh. her pants. And he's walking toward her. And there's the, the camera shot. It's just like on this the turkey baster. And there's like I'm like I, and all I'm thinking is like oh you know what's going to happen? A little bit of run is going to come out of the tip of it. And mm-hmm. sure enough, on cue. And I just got a big smile on my face because it's like yeah, that's exactly how you shoot this. Like if you want to go into this territory, you better go mm-hmm. all the way with it. And uh, yeah, that that's like that's when the movie really um, really hit a, a high note for me. Um. <laughs> yeah, well, the creep that you are, you were you really like that. And since I, if anyone's here, I'm assuming you saw it. So uh, you get all that build up like that, and they do commit to it. Like he doesn't actually succeed in it, but uh, so she kind of wrestles out, and then she plunges it back into him. And she right has mouth. classic classic Arnold line with a how's that taste? Yeah. And yes, it's like, yeah. ooh, yeah. And, and everyone at the theater did a fist pump in the air. They're like, yeah. you tell him, man. Well, yeah, because she, she squeezes the bulb of the uh, base yeah. and just you get the back flow of it as it hits the back of his mouth and it just comes out. Oh, mm-hmm. it's all you could ever hope for. That's like pretty well. as That's probably the most extreme the movie gets. Um, yep. there's, there's a few yep. bits where like he like um, – old Steve Lang, he just beats the shit out of dudes and chokes him out and stuff. And that's about yeah. like, and like the, the, the savage, when it starts going into the uh, savage beating territory, it starts getting a little bit more like intense. He starts, mm-hmm. when he starts kind of doing the, the full mount, uh, beating down on the girl and stuff like that. You're like, Oh, but I mean, yeah, yeah that's about it. Honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, no, yeah, it doesn't ever get like fully there. Yeah. So, uh, I guess like, so RG, did you, did you like this movie a lot? Did you love this movie? Uh, Cause I, I didn't, yeah, I didn't did love think? it, but I I thought it was pretty good. Okay. Like I, I enjoyed it. Um, like you, you are right. Actually, like so I I thought of Martyrs too, but when you were talking about it, I didn't even realize where it's kind of like where the girl is in the house and then she finds the previously held person and then it switches where yeah. she gets put into it, but it doesn't fully commit like Martyrs, and that's why Martyrs is such a. Uh, a visceral movie is because martyrs fully commits to it. It's like, well, mm. you fucked up and you're here now. But, um, no, I didn't, I didn't piece it together like that, but I was thinking about martyrs as soon as you go into the little basement and you see the girl there, like in the pillow fort in the sex swing with like the fucking muzzle on. I was like, Ooh, I was like, <laughs> I, I was thinking about that. I was like, this guy's seen martyrs. Um, yeah, no, uh, I, I enjoyed it. There was, um, there were, there were a few things I thought were really good. Like, like you said, Stephen Lang just beating, like, just beating people was good. I thought the uh, the black and white like n- dark sequence was pretty good. Oh yeah, yeah, the night vision kind of the thing. night the night vision thing. I thought that was yeah. a fun way to play that, that with was the, him being the, blind. Um, that was definitely one of the uh, better parts of the movie. I think the better parts. Yeah. Um, yeah, I thought that part was really good. Um, I thought a lot of the tension felt pretty good. Yeah. Uh, like girl crawling through the things, and then there's arms coming up through it, stuff like that, um, or, or just like. Actually, the most effective tension was like when the people were just standing like right in front of him, and he's like, like an inch away from their face, just like sniffing at him and stuff. <laughs> but I guess that's the point. Yeah. Um. All all the references didn't really bother me. I did. I I'm I wasn't a big fan of the uh, the Rottweiler side story, but uh, <laughs> as as people, I'm sure I've I've let a little inkling out there. And I, I said before in episode ten, you'll find out fully why. But I don't much care for. Um, and like animal side stories, it kind of bums me out. So, 
Yeah. No, I, I actually in the film actually showed an amazing restraint as far as it came to yeah. that. Uh, yeah, they that, did the the Rottweiler uh, mm-hmm. guard. Um, yeah, there, yeah, I mean, it the, never got hit once. It wasn't killed, and it never got like pummeled or anything like that. So I'll give it credit to that. But it was a huge part of the story. Yeah, I'm I'm sure that like. Uh, because initially there's the bit where he comes like skidding in after um the the the, the teen boy the baby face boy yeah. um and like I, you really think he's got that he's got that hammer in his hand that he's going to club this mm-hmm. thing and then like he kind of tricks it into the room the kitchen and then he locks it in yeah. and i've kind of felt like you know that could have been edited in a way where like he did bash it but maybe they cut it out mm-hmm. because maybe the mpa or somebody interfered but then mm-hmm. like that was my initial thought i was like oh i bet you they might have changed it but then of course it plays off something that comes later because there's like the big chase with the girl uh with the yeah. car later on and that's like obviously it was like pretty well planned out so i mean that yeah. was the, that was the end game with that dog and it's like yeah mm-hmm. it's like actually a lot of like maneuvering around not injuring this dog and uh <laughs> Yeah. So I, I did like, I, I'll give it credit for that. Like I appreciate anytime there's stuff like that, where it seems like they actually go to an effort to like not take the easy route and just kind of play around or play around with people with the easy, like sympathy death of an animal. Yeah. Um, whenever it seems like they actually put a little work into it, I appreciate that. And I thought they did a good job in it when here, just on the whole, I, I always feel like that seems like, I don't know, like an easy out. Like, just to have, like, a dog. Like, and that was even, like, what I said when we first saw Green Room. Like, undeniably, I think Green Room is the best movie of the year. But even that relies pretty heavily on the dogs. And I think they do it well there, too. But at the same same time, I just... I, I would rather you do something else. Like yeah. I, I don't need dogs in my movies. Right. Well, that with yeah, in green room, like n- nobody, dog or animal or man or beast, like get out of that movie, like not getting yeah. messed up. Like that's just like mm-hmm. that's the, that's the type of movie that is. Um, like and yeah, the, that's the other like really great scene in Don't Breathe is the dog car scene it's just like just yeah. when you just when you think that dog is trapped <laughs> it's yeah. like no and it's just coming out it's like so good it, it's, it was it's, it's funny like i i saw a smirk on your face because yeah. like his head pops out of the seat he's like Rawr! yeah and it's it keeps like, going and keeps going you're like oh my god like because you just thought like oh that was the end of it but no no yeah no. so yeah no there's like i enjoyed this movie um yeah it was like fun but mm-hmm. i like man calling calling this like the best horror movie in years is just like stupid like shut up <laughs> no i i hope uh what you had said earlier where that that actually can hurt movies a lot i hope it doesn't bo- or doesn't do that because i think if if they didn't say that like obviously i know why they do yeah. but like if they didn't say that and then people just went in like well yeah it's getting pretty good reviews or it's like i heard it yeah. was good maybe i'll go check it out and then they just see it and are genuinely genuinely impressed then they'll go out like feeling good but i remember like uh that that had an effect on me for uh the babadook cuz mm-hmm. i had heard all this stuff about the babadook everyone's like oh it's indie darling like best horror movie of the last 20 years all this stuff and then i watched it and i was just like it's okay yeah i, I like i honestly I, that movie's just okay to me i don't i don't understand like why it gets credited as much as it does like yeah i get it like it was a small film and they did some cool stuff in it but i just i think it's okay i think the fact that it gets like praise so much it was like i was saying a couple episodes ago it's the uh the fight club effect mm. fight club scarface the babadook movies like that that get like such overall like or like like people just dump on praise for it and stuff like that it, it really has the opposite effect for me where it's like if i haven't or if i see it and then i hear all that stuff it's like well 
it's okay, but it's not as good as that. And then I just get annoyed by it, like by how oversaturated and how much people like dump on it for that. So, yep. So I hope that doesn't happen to this movie because I think it's a good movie and I, I hope it does well because I think Fide Alvarez is a pretty, pretty good filmmaker and yeah, I'd no. like to see some more stuff. Well, I'm sure he'll be making stuff like all the time. <laughs> like, I, don't yeah. think, I don't think he's going away anytime soon. Uh, not like uh, like just like the one guy that I remember looking up and I was like, what happened to Brad Anderson? Because like he had this like kind of hot mm-hmm. streak, uh, like kind of like because I'm always like on the lookout for like that new young director who's like making some like interesting like I don't know genre movies or whatever. Yeah, kind of like the like who's the next John Carpenter type of thing. And sure. like it seems like these guys kind of pop up and then they the movies kind of get either like overhyped or they're all pretty good and then they just fade out and they burn out real quick and like I remember like Brad Anderson was one of those guys where it's like yeah. he seemed to have this like real hot period and then now it's like well what is he up to and there's like not been much coming out and it's just kind of like maybe like these guys are getting lost to TV as well um, uh, cuz yeah it could be yeah that that could be it too I'm not just singling out Brad Anderson there's like uh, like even um who directed Attack the Block Joe Cornish yeah He's one of those guys too, where yeah. it's like it seems like it's been a while that Attack the Block was out, and um, well, it was 2011. I always heard that he had like this big project lined up, and I can't remember what it was, but it was it was basically like a Star Wars, like a Star Wars spinoff, like right. th- what we're getting this Christmas, like something pretty big. Where it's like, well, yeah, he had a really good like first go, and he, now he's given like a huge movie, but I don't remember it ever coming out, so well, I don't. Maybe yeah. it didn't. Maybe it fell through. Well, because yeah, like Attack the Block hit, and then I mean, the same year he had worked on the screenplay for uh, Tintin, which like of course we all still talk about, right? Um, oh yeah, I and, talk about Tintin yeah. daily. And then there's like uh, the whole like uh, disaster of Ant Man. Um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, it's just so strange because I remember. Yeah, I don't know. This seems like it's a weird thing that happens in this uh, this film industry. Is, uh, guys have everything kind of going for them and then it just stops yep it's a a bummer it's a a the way the world goes man yeah life sucks and then you die right yeah um well i don't know i guess that could be our hard stop on uh the don't breathe talk so so i guess overall opinion i uh i liked it a lot um i'm not in love with it but uh you know i i can see myself watching that again someday so yeah. That's my endorsement. I thought it was pretty good. Yeah. Pretty, pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's like, yeah, if anyone asked me about it, I'd just be like, yeah, totally check it out. But I mean, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. That's it. That's it. <laughs> it's a movie. Yeah, it's a, Congrats. It's a movie. You didn't, yeah. you didn't annoy me. <laughs> yeah. No, I thought, yeah. No. Oh, you, but overall, spe- a good, a good trip to the cinema. Speaking of annoying things though. Uh-oh. Uh, I've got, uh, my, uh, my grape. My, oh, God. my Gripeurian collection, my my selection this week. Okay, we're moving into the Gripe, okay. Yeah, I think right, so. I'm ready. Um, yeah, we'll talk about what we've been creeping on another time. Mm-hmm. But um, BBC uh, released right. its top 100 films of the 21st century, as selected by 177 film critics from around the world, in quotation marks. Sure. Uh, or film you, critics. Yeah, film critics. Uh, those guys... Um, mm-hmm. So, what are your uh, top five? Why is this on this list? <laughs> or any oh, any, uh, any, any I, number of uh, you can pick one in any like. I have I have four I have four written down. That's that's fine. Go for so it. I I have four. Um, my top four, and I even have them numbered. Uh, so from uh, which conveniently highest on the list also 
my most confusing is number five, uh, Richard Linklater's Boyhood. Why is that on this list? People like Boyhood, RJ. Haven't you checked out Letterboxd? I think that movie gets way more credit than it deserves just for the the technical merit that it was done over like 20 years. Yep. Um, I mean, if you scale it down to like what that movie's really, really is, I think you'd be a lot less impressed with it. So anyways, number five, Boyhood. Uh, Number 41, Inside Out. I know that, that, so this is the Pixar Disney movie about where emotions have emotions and stuff like that. Um, I understand that a lot of people think this is the second coming of Christ. Uh, This was the best animated movie of all time. Pixar's star achievement. I went to this with my girlfriend. Uh, I had a, I, I won't lie, I had a vested interest in this because I do, uh, as a career, I guess, I, I look at brain things, to put it simply. I look at the brain, so I was like, oh yeah, this sounds awesome. And I went and, just to be clear, like that didn't affect why I didn't like this movie at all. I just thought it was a boring and not very good movie, like... You seen a Pixar movie? All right, you saw Inside Out. Like it's no different from any of that other stuff. Like I, I would take a handful over that thing, like any day of the week. So that one surprises me. That's not a great movie. And then just really quick, my uh, my other two, number sixty-seven and number eighty-one, The Hurt Locker and Shame. Ooh. So yeah, that might surprise you. That I, Shame is on there. I, I doesn't surprise me. Um, Hurt Locker stinks. Uh, it's just a bad movie. And uh, Shame, I, I don't know, man. I just, it was the same with like Hunger. Like, they're yeah. good movies. Like, I, yeah. I'll, I'll say this. Like, they're they're really well made movies. It just the other doesn't Stephen really, Queen. it doesn't interest me at all. Like, it's like, okay, yeah. whatever. Yeah. I'm, it's I'm, like, all right, Michael Fassbender, you're really putting your heart into it. Like, I get it. And same with Steve McQueen. It's just, it's like, I don't care. Yeah. For, I, I kind of feel the same way. They're like yeah. good movies. They're just like, I mean, I keep coming back to like the one comment I think I made about uh, that the set the samurai film. Um, just like if this isn't a book I would read, mm-hmm. that seems to be a real driving force behind like a lot of my my viewing, um, right. and like kind of like how I think about movies after the fact. Like I'll watch like an amazing beautiful movie maybe, and then I'll be like, yeah, but I never want to watch it again. I didn't really get that much right. out of it. But sometimes you, I mean, I'll read a book that's like you read the back of it and you go, well, that doesn't sound interesting at all. But then it's like maybe like the prose that really brings you into it. And it's like, wow, right. this is like so beautifully written. Um, and that can happen too. But for the most part, I mean, I'm not going to be necessarily drawn to those types of things. Um, sure. I mean, I mean, other than like obvious problems with that top 100 films, of the 21st century list, like certain mm-hmm. things, like I think there's like not a single like uh, Indian film on the entire film, which is like, or on that entire list, there's not one Indian film. It's like, well, they have like quite the film industry. They have a yeah, population yeah. of a billion people. They make up an eighth of like the world. And wait, there's not, not, they didn't make a single movie that's like as good as, I don't know, uh, Moulin Rouge. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Okay. So, yeah. What, my so, wife, what are, what are your top five uh, okay. worst of the worst? Okay. Well, mine was, uh, well, you said boyhood already. Um, yeah. That movie is. Perfect. Like I'm a I'm a total Richard Linklater fan. Uh, that the before trilogy uh, are all time classics. I love them. Um, mm-hmm. Tree of Life is <gasps> okay. Oh, Jared. Okay, it, it's, continue. It's okay. Like, it's good. I I I remember liking it. Um, yeah. But I don't. But you hate Terrence Malick. No, I don't hate Terrence Malick. Um, so you so you hate me. 
No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, it's personal, brother. <laughs> yeah. No, um, I, I like that movie a lot, but I don't hold it as an ultimate well, it's slam. Like, well, because like, on that list, is it wound up like top 10 or whatever, just based on point breakdowns and stuff like that. I mean, it's right, cra- right. to me, it's crazy that Mulholland Drive wound up so high. That that's Yeah, like, I was super surprised. That's really it. shocking to me. Um, yeah. Like it's been a, like I love that movie. I think it's like it is David Lynch's best movie. But I mean, David Lynch's best mm-hmm. movie. I don't really imagine being like the best film of the 21st century either. So that's right. that's that was quite shocking. Maybe a lot of people watched their uh, Criterion Blu-ray recently of it, and they're like, that movie's really yeah. really good. And it's been like I haven't watched it yet. I haven't watched my copy yet of it on Blu-ray. Um, I remember uh, one, one of the other podcasts I listened to. They. Um, they talked about it recently and they were talking about like how it seems cheap at times. So I'm kind of curious watching it again, if that's going to be true. Cause it's, yeah. Cause it started out as a television like pilot and then got yeah, repurposed. Yeah. So I'm kind of curious if there's any merit to what they were saying about it. They could mm. be completely wrong. Um, there's also uncle Boon me who can recall his past lives. Um, never heard of it. Okay. So that movie, it's got a really cool trailer and it's got some like really neat visuals that like, I, like totally sucked me in. It's just like these, right. like, um, this like forest spirit stuff with these burning red eyes that's just like, Whoa, what the fuck is that? And that was like, that had me hooked. And then I went to go watch the movie and I just might've been in the wrong mood to watch something that slow and meandering. And, but the movie was horrible (laughs) when I watched it. So that movie was like, I'm like, Oh, I'd never watch that again. Um, yeah. yeah, Uh, Moulin Rouge. Uh, I hate, I I hate that crap. Uh, Boz Lerman stinks. I hate his Mm -hmm. editing. Like it's just not my taste whatsoever. It's I, I'm just gonna say it's horrible. Um, right. I was surprised AI ranked so highly. Yeah. I was surprised by that too. I didn't, I didn't think it was. Yeah. Like I remember like a few years ago, I think like, uh, maybe it was like the 2002 or maybe the 2012, like sight and sound, like top 10, list that they did of all time and like armand white had like all like nine classic movies like all these mm-hmm. like all the, all the expected things and then number one was ai and i was like so like to me that's like a that's yeah. a troll movie to like you're like, like what i mean i know some people yeah. who like love that movie too and i just like i don't know i i tried watching it long like i never saw it back in theater because i like the the poisonous word of mouth had like made me not want to see it at all and i went back to it after meeting some people who like swore by it and just watching mm-hmm. it and i was just like this this is bad right. um this is like not good spielberg at all and especially him trying to do mm-hmm. kubrick it just ugh, not not good at all jude i just remember jude law looking really terrible in that but i i only saw that like when i was younger and i saw it in such like clunky like on tv commercials and stuff like that i don't even i don't think i even have it marked as viewed because it's like it's like i know i've seen it but like i don't even like i can't even remember what it like watching it so yeah Um, yeah that's how remarkable ai is yeah um I guess the other going back to one of the things you were uh, sick burning on was the Hurt Locker. Um, oh yeah, I saw. I remember like when that movie like I think it it won uh, the Academy Award for Best Picture already. When I yeah. I, I saw it the week before, a week after, um, mm-hmm. when uh, our like discount theater finally got it. It was the first theater in town to get it, and cool. um, I thought it was like good. Um, I saw it with my friend mm-hmm. Corey, who's like far more into like that sort of subject matter than I am. Um, and I remember like liking it okay, but I, I have no desire ever to watch it again. Um, yeah. it's like actually, that's like it's going back to this book analogy. I think I'd rather read a book by a like a bomb disarmer guy 
than watching mm-hmm. that type of handheld movie thing that that was right and like that was the same thing for like zero dark 30 for me that movie made me really like uneasy with like uh like american military stuff like yeah i, I think like Catherine bigelow gets like a real like enjoyment out of that material so i like, guess she's totally in her like um we uh her wheelhouse uh oh, when, 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 when she's uh, hot take when, when, when she's like like hanging out with like dudes in boots uh, yeah. and doing shit i think it's like she like loves it but uh and like mm-hmm. i don't know I don't, I don't get her enthusiasm carrying over into the movies when i watch them they're just like i don't yeah. know they're, they're they're the exact same as any if anyone else did them she's mm-hmm. just slightly better at it than others yeah um, um yeah. if i can just interrupt you for a second I, I i was gonna add on the hurt locker when i first saw it i think i liked it too but it's one of those movies that as time went on my memory of it just soured because yeah. i was like I was like, wait, it's like one of those things where like the more you think about it and the more time passes, you're just like, wait, that wasn't very good. And then it's also like, oh, wait, Jeremy Renner's kind of boring sometimes. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, wait, that guy's there. Oh, wait, this is because of the social call. Uh, Anyways. Yeah. yeah, So I think I initially liked that movie, too. But just in time, I was like, this movie stinks. Yeah. (laughs) So what, what else do you got for me? Oh man, you know that's probably about it for me. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have Do you have anything to get off your chest? Any any gripes? Mm. Gripes? Yeah. Uh, no, no gripes. Uh, this was pretty good. Pretty good week, I think. Actually, so yeah. I have some other news, but I mean, it doesn't need to be talked about or anything like that either. So it depends on our time. Well, um, you know what? Fuck it. They can wait for another week. No one cares about your feelings, RJ, and your news. But- one of them's KFC related. <laughs> I really don't care about old KFC. Okay. Well, anyways, I'll I'll save the movie news for next week. All right then. Well, after this next break, we're going to be talking about that uh, number four or no five. Oh. Yeah. Number yeah, five. five, which we haven't even mentioned yet on the show once, but we're <laughs> <laughs> we're going to be talking about spine number five in the Criterion Collection, and that is the Four Hundred Blows from 1959, directed by Francois Truffaut. So join us after. When I was a boy, I had a dream all about the things I'd like to be. Soon as I was in my bed, music played inside my head. When I was a boy, I had a dream. When I was a boy, I learned to play. Fire into the night and drift away. Don't want to work on the milk or the bread. Je n'ai jamais été si bouleversé au cinéma. 
plus sévère pour la société que main réquisitoire. Bonjour, madame. Petit malheureux, va. Et Georges Sadoul écrira dans les lettres françaises, l'émotion vous saisit. Elle continue de vous serrer la gorge durant les heures qui suivent cette révélation. Un grand talent nous est né, que je salue avec admiration et une respectueuse amitié. Antoine, il m'a sûrement vu. Ton fils, c'est lequel des deux Qu'est-ce que tu vas prendre ce soir Penses-tu Elle n'osera jamais le dire à mon père. Une histoire prenante, sans révolte spectaculaire. Ainsi qu'en témoigne Paul Guyot dans France Soir, le film a gagné tout simplement parce qu'il est beau comme tout ce qui va sans phrase jusqu'au bout de la vérité. Tes parents disent que tu mens tout le temps. Non, je mens de temps en temps, quoi. Des fois, ils... je leur dirais des choses qui sont la vérité, ils ne me croiraient pas, alors je préfère dire des mensonges. Au sujet de ce film, tout a été si spontanément et si généreusement exprimé jusqu'ici qu'on ne saurait rien y ajouter. Cette œuvre apparaît comme la grande victoire d'une gageure tenue par ce jeune et féroce critique de cinéma qui a osé affronter le danger de la réciprocité en devenant à son tour metteur en scène. Ce film aura fait écrire à Jacqueline Michel dans Le Parisien Libéré « Truffaut a fait mieux qu'un chef-d'œuvre, une œuvre rigoureuse, vibrante, belle et sincère » qui nous arrache le cœur doucement, tendrement, sans cri et sans grandiloquence. Les 400 coups ont pour principale vedette Jean-Pierre Léo, qui nous révèle un talent étonnant dans le rôle du gamin terrible de ce film. Patrick Offet, Claire Morier, Albert Rémy et Guy Decomble. Oui, la recherche de l'absolu vous a conduit droit au zéro, mon ami. Pour les autres moins familiers de Balzac, je dirais qu'il s'agit d'une ténébreuse affaire. De toute façon, après ce coup-là, je ne peux plus vivre avec mes parents. Il faut que je disparaisse, tu comprends And we're back. And we're talking Francois Truffaut's The 400 Blows from 1959, spine number five in the Criterion Collection. Synopsis. This week, RJ, I thought I would do something a little bit different and uh, sure. maybe uh, maybe call this one like a uh, bad 90s comedy trailer would. <laughs> hey, I think you might as well, because uh, if anything's going to spice up this uh, movie, I think that's it. Oh, uh-oh. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, Meet Antoine Doniel. He's a boy growing up in Paris, and he can't do anything right. Misunderstood at home by his parents, yelled at by his teachers, Antoine is looking to break away from it all. Playing hooky from school, catching mom with other fellas, going to the movies and reading the classics, things just go from bad to worse for old Antoine. Sooner or later, one thing leads to another, and Antoine is going to boarding school. With the world against him, with the walls closing in around him, Antoine makes one last desperate run for freedom, and we're along for the ride. <laughs> I think you sold it, man. I think that's that. I think it's going to star Sinbad and uh, probably Jonathan Taylor Thomas. Uh, I was thinking Anthony Hopkins. As the, the little kid? Uh, 
No. Cur- current time Anthony Hopkins as the little kid? Yeah, that would be that would change things up. Yes. All right. I'm okay. in. I'm in. So, well, I, I I thought that was nice. Thank you for that. You're welcome. RJ, what did you think of the 400 blows? Um, I think this movie's all right. Uh, I'm not super wowed by it. Um, I think it, it's, I think for the time and what it's about, I think it's a very good movie, but I don't know watching it. I was, there were times where I was just kind of bored to be honest with you. Um, like, and I feel like, like this reminded me a lot of like the Richard Linklaters and the, the early day Kevin Smith's of the world. Like, I feel like they watch this movie a lot because it's kind of like, just the Kevin life of Smith. like, yeah. Well, well, Kevin Smith was like base, or he credits like Richard Linklater is why he started. Okay. So maybe I'll just use Linklater, like in the sense that it's like it's just a movie like following some characters as they live, kind of like as they go around. Um, like, so I guess this is like semi based on like Truffaut's life, maybe. Like this was like a lot of it is stuff that just happened to him as like a kid on the streets in Paris. Um, no, I don't know. Like, I think it's good. I just I wasn't really wowed by it at all. Like, it seemed like it was just like <laughs> it's to me. It was like a less entertaining Ferris Bueller's Day Off because it was like just this little French kid like just skipping school and running around doing stuff. Um, that like there's one scene where he's he's like living on the streets and he steals some milk and it's like 10 minutes long of him just drinking this bottle of milk i actually thought that was pretty good my uh my girlfriend commented she th- she said what is this a mcpoyle uh from <laughs> o- always always sunny fame uh, uh so i i thought that was pretty good um the stuff i liked like there's some pretty cool um shots like there's a shot where he's on like that uh the carnival ride of like the spaceship and it's like spinning around and the camera's like at the top. I thought that was neat. Uh, this movie has an all-time classic dad move where he goes, it's a behind-the-back double booby honk. He goes up to the mom and gives her one of those. I thought that was re- super cool too. Uh, near the end, you see uh, kids in, in cages basically, and I thought that was pretty fucked up. I don't really know what that was about. You see it twice. Like He gets put in a cage in the jail, which I was like, okay, whatever. And then he gets like, so, I'm just, if you if you're listening, you've seen this movie. So yeah. I'm just gonna talk about it. When he gets sent to like that reform school, yeah. and like the boys are getting marched outside, and it, it sh- pans to a shot, and there's like three little girls just in a cage in the middle of the field, and I was like, what the fuck? Like, is that because they have to like separate them because these boys will like like attack them, or is it because they're really fucked up and like they all attack the boys? Or like, I was like, I just didn't get it. I was like, why is there like these kids caged in this thing? Um, so that was kind of weird. Yeah. Uh, the movie ends kind of, which I thought was kind of funny and also very striking where it like super zooms in on the kid's face. It's like, and it like, like rooms up to him. I thought that was kind of funny. Um, I don't know. Uh, I think you kind of, you get my take on it. Like, I don't know. Like, I think it's a good show. I just, to be honest, it maybe, maybe it was me. I'll, I'll give it the credit, a little bit of a credit or a benefit of the doubt maybe i just wasn't in the mood for it that day but mm-hmm. like i don't know i just i thought it was okay that's about it okay well, what, what, what are, what's your take on the 400 blows okay so oh, I, actually oh, can i interrupt you for one second go right ahead sorry i just wanted to mention that um 
the masterclass editing you did for the last episode where you uh, were talking about uh, the Amicord and farts and things like that. Uh, I feel really bad because at the end of the episode, we talked about 400 blows and I didn't make a joke that this movie was for, or I was going to say Fellini's 400 blows and then make a big loud fart sound. So <laughs> that's really the takeaway of this movie is that it needs more farts. There you go. There, sorry, continue. <clears throat> Okay, so I was thinking about this movie and thinking about how to approach it for uh, for the podcast. And I right. mean, I think it's like, I mean, uh, Truffaut and like, so he was a writer for the film magazine uh, Cahiro du Cinema, uh, which I only recently found out, which translates to Cinema Notebook. Um, and I mean, right. that that publication is like, I mean, I don't know if there, there wouldn't be a Criterion collection um, without that publication i don't think like that was like i'm not sure if you're familiar with how like kind of influential that like it still comes out no too. i'm not okay so i mean pretty well uh let's see here so the magazine started in 1951 uh so francois Truffaut, he uh he was a writer on the the uh the magazine itself uh in 1954 he wrote uh a essay called "A Certain Tendency of French Cinema," which is basically the start of the word, the use of the word "auteur." So, I mean, okay. that's where you kind of get like uh, I think uh, Andrew Saris is credited with like actually coming up with the idea of auteur theory. But auteur mm-hmm. was like kind of the first use it appeared in this essay that uh, Truffaut wrote, uh, and it's in reference to like I mean, for obviously people probably know this, but in reference to directors of film being kind of the true maker of a film. Um, and this was an idea that filtered down from uh, Andre Bazin, Bazin and uh, Roger Leinhart's talk of film uh, and like how they were discussing film in the 1940s. Uh, Andrew Bazin, he died in 1958, um, a, day, oh, no. a day after the 400 Blows started production and to whom the film is dedicated right off the bat. Um, okay. So and so this Andre Bazin, I think it's Bazin, uh uh, along with uh, two other fellas, Jacques Doniel uh, Valcros and Joseph Maria uh, Laduca, uh, they founded uh, uh, Cahier du Cinema in 1951. And so, I mean, that was just like, uh, you'd have like pretty well all those French New Wave directors, they all kind mm-hmm. of were writing in this magazine uh, kind of by the late 50s and throughout the 60s before they started taking their... Uh, Kind of academic, their their academic approach, their way of thinking about film, and actually started literalizing that into making movies the way that they were talking about it. Um, right. <clears throat> so I mean, like Andre Bazin, like his influence on Truffaut calls for, like because Bazin's thing was like he he wanted objective reality, uh, the use of deep focus with photography, a lack of montage, okay. uh, because he thinks that like without those things allow for a uh, a more uh, real interpretation of of scenes by the viewer sure um and this was like really at ends at, or at odds with um film theory in the 20s and 30s which really emphasized how cinema could manipulate reality and right so, like so i mean if you consider the importance of bazine to Truffaut, to whom he dedicated this film uh it becomes mm-hmm. like obvious that like Truffaut was putting all of bazine's ideas to work here in the movie um okay. And so, I mean, like, you have, like, like Bazin spoke of, like, objective reality, like we see in, like, a neo, neo-realist film in Italy at the time. Um, this idea of, like, directors being invisible, where it's, like, they're not bringing attention to their technique. Um, okay, yeah. Like, true continuity and mise-en-scene, like, the just the way scenes are composited and whatnot. Um, so, I mean, these right. were, like, these were all things that were being discussed in this, like, 
uh, newspaper that or in this magazine, like where they were like, they're trying to move away from like literary adaptations of of like novels being turned into movies and just like doing straight across things like that, but actually like making movies. Uh, for the sake of making movies, I guess, while like observing these sort of like ideas, which I mean, Truffaut would like totally like he started ignoring like a movie later, like okay, yeah, yeah, because I mean he's he he did a Fahrenheit four fifty one adaptation, um, mm-hmm. so, and I mean it's and that's kind of like he just he was always experimenting and trying out new things, um, okay, so, yeah, so I mean like I just think like I that's the first thing like when I was like thinking about four hundred blows that I wanted to kind of mention, um, so. Right. First of all, with the movie, um, you get that opening credit sequence with the Eiffel Tower, where mm-hmm. it's like I think this is like one thing that we haven't really uh, contextualized either is like sort of like uh, as we're watching these films in the Criterion Collection, we are jumping around in time, like we've gone yeah. from like yeah. we've we've gone from talking for like a 1937 uh, French movie just before World War II uh, to 1954 Japanese cinema. <laughs> Uh, and right. and it, which is a period yeah. piece. Actually, both yeah. both films are uh, actually those first two films are period pieces. Um, Lady Vanishes is basically a genre movie that, like, I guess you could say was like a contemporary movie, but it's like yeah. obviously a it's a spy story. Um, mm-hmm. And then, like, then we jumped like thirty years, forty years into the future with Amarcord, which is like more far more recognizable as kind of like how movies are made still today. Like it's yeah. it still yeah, resembles yeah. like filmmaking, and now we've kind of jumped back another like twenty years, and we're going to four hundred blows, which like I think it's like almost tough to like comprehend like how weird and different the four hundred blows is, because I mean, um, first of all, it's like it's all shot on location, like so like mm-hmm. he he like with the the French New Wave as a movement itself, um, there's this whole idea of like out getting out of the studio. Um, mm-hmm. like the whole like this idea of like shooting like cinema verte um so like in this movie you get like real paris streets you get real school rooms you get real apartments um they're not like being con- they're not constructions being filmed like on a sound stage like uh, lady vanishes which is like all on a train station and like all this effort is being put into like um making sets no uh Truffaut, because of limitations of like money um and also uh, I guess like maybe even looking for like kind of like an honesty or truth in like what he was shooting. He decides that he's going to like tell a story, like an autobiograph, like a semi autobiographical story about his own like childhood. Um, right. And using a child in like 1959 mm-hmm. or I guess like when he was filming in 1958 and like telling and showing the world as it is um, rather than kind mm-hmm. of like a cinema world. Um. So yeah, going like that opening shot with like the um, the Eiffel Tower, like it really for me, like I watched that and I thought this is a really nice opening sequence. You get that really great uh, score the movie's got, um, but then like later on, th- there's something that clicks into for me where like at the end of the movie, like wh- when when Antoine's been arrested and or, or basically being booked into a reform school, like yeah. ev- ev- everything else you see from him from, from his perspective is from behind cages. And from behind, like, mm-hmm. um, bars. And, like, I kept thinking back to that shot of, like, trying to see this Eiffel Tower, this sort of, like, ideal of, like, Parisian life. But it's, like, kind of stuck behind these buildings. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, like, it's, no matter what angle you get, you're trying to find a good angle. What I found mm-hmm. out uh, from the commentary track was that that shot was actually uh, repurposed from uh, a sequence where, uh, I guess, Antoine and his friend, they, uh, they rent a cab because they want to go see the Eiffel Tower. 
Right. And like, and so that scene got dropped, but then it gets repurposed into this opening shot. Because obviously, I mean, Truffaut must have just loved it and wanted to, mm-hmm. thought it like set this feeling for the rest of the movie up. Um, Sounds like it worked. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Have you seen much French New Wave movies? Uh. I can't say that I have. If I have, I couldn't tell you what it is. Like, I've seen uh, one other Truffaut. Okay. Have you like what, you, you haven't seen any Godard like uh, Breathless or um... I I have Breathless, but oh, okay. I haven't watched it yet. Oh, and uh, okay. um, not I don't know. I don't know what uh, what all like I know the term and I know other movies that fit in there, but like I I feel like I've seen a couple, but I can't say what what it is. Like I can't think of them right now. So right. the other the other Truffaut I saw was um, Jules and Jim. Okay. And yeah. and uh, spoiler for that episode, I, I like that one a lot more than I like this one. Oh yeah, uh, I, I mean I think I think Jules and Jim's like a, one of the all time greatest movies ever made. Yep. Um, and like that movie, I just love. Um, I mean that's his third movie too. I think. So I mean, well, that's impressive. So I mean, like if you consider like the Four Hundred Blows is his first movie. I mean, mm-hmm. I think like it's like him. Like basically making this like film under like it's a theoretical film I guess ultimately in some ways like but we we it's it's so influential uh. I think it's so influential that like the parts of it are like so well worn now that I think it's yeah. like, I think it's like without like really trying to like put yourself into a mind's mind or a state of mind where you are like imagining watching this movie in 1959 and i don't know yeah. necessarily if like every, every i don't think it's i think it's kind of ridiculous to make think people should have to watch movies in that mindset all the time um no but it, it helps like that's what i mean like when i was saying too like i think one of the reasons why it didn't click with me was it, i just i i i'll admit i probably watched it on the wrong day like that day i might have been better suited watching something with mel gibson flex and maybe i was in the mood more for that but yep. i think uh, um i think it definitely helps to get in the state of mind for something like that so if you have like a movie like this that you want to watch like make sure that you don't just throw it on like anytime like you you got to be in into it you know and then you can appreciate it for what it really is and i just what you said about like him making this first movie it kind of it I had a laugh to myself because it, it reminded me of when we were talking about Fide Alvarez about how he did that um, that short and that's what got him fame. So it's like uh, 400 <laughs> blows. If uh, Truffaut is alive now, this would be a uh, five minute YouTube clip that he just uploaded. <laughs> and then uh, Kevin Smith would be like, hey, man, you're doing good stuff. And then he would bring him on to his thing. So oh, totally <laughs> hot take hot take. Yeah. For, okay. Sorry. Blows, continue. Foreign blows missed out on the YouTube generation. <laughs> yeah, which is too bad because I think it would really a- appeal to uh, millennials. Yeah. Because they're angsty kids who uh, just want to run away from home and live in behind machines and factories and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, and they're all about milk yeah. too. Well, so. like, so like, there's like a couple like things that like jumped out at this when I was like watching this movie, which um, I guess I haven't said if I liked it or not. I like this movie. Um, okay. Like. So one of the things that like Truffaut really set out to do with this movie was, I think, uh, he wanted. I guess, it's a weird thing because like they really uh, on the commentary track uh, with uh, Brian Stonehill, which was recorded in '92, he kind of talks a lot about like how he emphasized like having characters be sympathetic, like that was a real goal. And I'm like, well, isn't that the, the, the goal of like every movie, like or like, like the vast majority of movies, like narrative movies, the, to like good movies have, to have you sympathize with the main yeah. character and like so like, I, I think. 
uh, Truffaut in that regard does a really good job. Like I, like there's like I think the first, I mean I think the second time I watched it with the commentary track, I was surprised. Like I was watching the movie and I didn't realize that the the subtitles weren't on. And oh, I was, but I was like, yeah, and I was like totally following along with the movie. I mean, for the most part, it's like there's not a lot of dialogue in the f- first five ten minutes. It's mm-hmm. not until the school teacher starts talking, uh, that right. real asshole. <laughs> and, oh uh, yeah. And then I realized yeah. like I was just listening to the commentary, which at, at the, for the first like maybe fifteen minutes is excellent, and then it starts going into like a uh, lots of like quotes from books and recollections from other people, which are done mm-hmm. by uh, like, Balzac voice act uh, voice actors. Yeah. And it's like, oh, it kind of takes away from it. I would have liked a lot more, a lot more uh, information packed in there. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, so I, I was just like watching the movie along and I was like, oh, yeah, the subtitles aren't even on. I forgot to turn them on. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so the things I really was surprised by was like the movie was shot in CinemaScope. Like, because in my mind's eye, I imagined the like I still, because I'd seen the movie years ago on VHS. Um, like, and it was just like, crappy copy um watching it now mm-hmm. uh the one thing i was laughing about to myself was like man even like poor people in the 20th century like post-war paris dress better than they do now <laughs> yeah 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 he like they, they were looking pretty sharp but it did yeah. sound like that the mom was uh using the money for the kid's bed to uh for her own purposes so maybe that's part oh, of it yeah. too yeah she was that's a- why she that's why she was so flashy yeah she was a garbage human being but like even but like the, even like the even, even like the, the kids. poor kids like it's not until they yeah. get down to their pajamas where you get all the holes and like crittiness mm-hmm. of their uh their, their how they're really like obviously stretching everything out and then like they're wearing their out going out clothes that are like like really nice material mm-hmm. and the, the other thing just watching this movie on Blu-ray like it looks fantastic like it looks yeah. so nice um but yeah so the movie shot in CinemaScope but like I in my mind I was like oh a lot of this stuff I thought was like full frame but that's more of the Godard stuff I think like his early stuff was a lot of it was uh, shot with mm-hmm. in like uh, whatever academy ratio or whatever um but like yeah like the whole like the handheld stuff in this movie I mean that that's what at that period of time the reason that you'd ever shoot something handheld was because of budgetary constraints and the reason why this oh, like, okay. and one of the things too is like with black and white uh, like it's so like iconic now of like French New Wave that it's sort of like uh, fetishized by people who want to make things look like uh, French New Wave like even like with um, yeah, uh, yeah, the yeah. Wes, Wes Anderson uh, his like the bottle rocket short I mean he was basically doing a riff on French New Wave and it's black and white full frame and all that stuff like that but all that came down to uh, budgetary constraints like because shooting in color is mm-hmm. expensive shooting with like uh, actual camera rigging and stuff like that on mounts like, that's expensive shooting handhelds a lot cheaper but it looks unprofessional but nowadays that's like how everything shot like everything is shot because mm-hmm. of that cinema verte feel um the vermissitude or whatever uh, people want to you throw out there Ooh, that's a ten dollar word yeah uh i'll mm-hmm. accept uh paypal payments please Ooh, okay. yeah um so, uh so yeah I, I there's a lot to think about with this movie i mean i would totally like just watch this movie just as something to have on i don't think mm-hmm. I, I don't love this movie um but like, i find it like uh, stimulating stimulating yeah <laughs> it, it's that's uh that's what it sounds like it, it, like it sounds like you got a lot more out of this movie like it, it really evoked some kind of like reaction in you mm-hmm. where you were thinking about things yeah so, well, i guess it, i guess it worked yeah from, i guess it. <laughs> um like a few a few months ago too i watched this uh 1953 american movie called little fugitive um mm-hmm. which like 
uh, I heard about it from my friend who's like far more in, like he's super into French New Wave film, and he had mentioned this one as like kind of a an example of sad bastard cinema, and Ooh. it's this like little independent movie. Uh, it had three directors on it, but um, and it's just about this like little kid who uh, he wants his brother or. He wants his older brother to look after him while his mom's out of town, and they're okay. supposed to just stay at home. But the older brother's like, no, he can't go to Coney Island because he has to look after his little brother. And so they kind of mm-hmm. do a, they do a setup where uh, they make it so like the, his, the, his older brother and his friends make it seem like he he's been shot and killed by by his own hand. <laughs> okay. Yeah, like they give him like a gun, and but it's not loaded, but they make the sound that it's like he fires it and it's like oh i hit me oh i'm dead and so his little brother will like i guess the idea is that his brother will like go to like back to the apartment and just stay there and they can take off to coney island but the kid runs off and he apparently just like goes to coney island as well okay (laughs) and and it's just like it's just like this adventures of this freckly faced little pug nosed kid like living on Coney Island for a few days because he thinks he's murdered his brother. <laughs> All right. That sounds pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, I, so this movie is like very like much like when you think about when I think of that now, I'm like, yeah, like Truffaut loved this movie. He talked about how much big of an influence it was. And it's like, it totally was like, it's mm-hmm. like very similar idea, but not like so much like the, no one's pretending to be murdered or anything like that, but it's like, uh, foreigner blows is far more grounded in reality, but yeah. it's like the same sort of emotional, like emotional, uh, feeling of like adolescence and stuff like that and like the the weird drama that can be found in in childhood mm-hmm. that we just don't think of uh when you get older you're like oh yeah you just get over that don't you um what did you think of that uh that cat bedroom oh actually uh, yeah that was an awesome part that house has so many cats <laughs> so like many 90 big, cats big furry cats <laughs> yeah yeah as soon as it opened and like i scoped out like four cats i was like oh my god I think they, these people are crazy and they have just a hundred cats and it was true and they did. And I thought that was pretty yeah. neat. Oh, also that reminds me actually, these kids were fucking little bastards. Like there was a scene in the cat room where they're like smoking the dad's cigars and stuff, yeah. but they're like knocking bottles over or glasses or something. Actually, it might be a different scene, but there's a scene where, Oh, um, it's in the classroom. Actually, the one, there's like one kid who's got like welding goggle eyeglasses and like he's like standing up to like like say some like read his report or something. Yep. And the kids like they all take turns like mangling his fucking glasses and like oh. pouring ink on it. But and he, shit. you know why? Because he was the rat. Because he's the guy. Oh, was he? Yeah. Because okay. remember, he's the one who comes to. Uh, he's the same kid. Uh, there, there's the bit where he's like spying on um, Antoine and his friend when they're kind of uh, oh, playing yeah. hooky. And, he, and, he, and he's the one who goes to the parents' house after saying, Oh, I just yeah. wanted to make sure that he's still not sick today. Cause, yeah, yeah. Um, and okay. Then, I didn't I didn't piece it together. It, yeah. The uh, the visual prop of the goggles didn't stick with me that it was the same kid. Yeah. I'm, pr- okay. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty confident that it's the same piece it, of shit. Well, that, that makes more sense. And yeah. then that kid's the miserable bastard. Yeah, well, I guess, like, in the the commentary made an interesting point, just talking about how, like, uh, after, like, World War II, because, like, obviously, like, during the French occupation, there was, like, a real history of, like, like um, um, spies and, like, traitors. Ah, what's the word for it? But, like, just, like, people who, like, 
um, espionage, not espionage, but like the people who are uh, collaborators, right? Okay. And like, and so there's this like, it came to like a, a whole subgenre and in France and like sort of like a, a trope in a French literature of like of like these people who like spy and stuff like that. And like that's like what that I guess like you'd say that's like a throwback to that idea of like kids getting theirs though too, because like okay, obviously, yeah. Uh, like yeah, you were if you were a man, you were uh, hung from the lampposts uh, if you were after uh, the Nazis were taken out of France and uh, collaborators were being taken care of and like women who were like laying down with like um french or german soldiers i mean they were their heads were being shaved and like shamed in the streets and stuff like that so okay yeah that, your your glass is getting bent up and messed with that that was uh that's getting off light i guess light okay <laughs> yeah well yeah that makes more sense that kid uh that kid deserved worse so. totally yeah fuck that mm-hmm. guy Okay. Um, so yeah, I mean, I guess like now too, with like uh, between Amarcord and Four Hundred Blows, we've had like these two movies of like schools, European school life. Mm-hmm. Um, so hey, uh, RJ, did you ever skip class when you were a kid? Uh, well, if my mom's listening, no. But uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think a few times. Uh, I never got into as fun um, shenanigans as that. I think a lot of time I just went home, and just ate food or something. Just being a real piece of shit, fat kid, like <laughs> melting cheese on bread or something like that. So, yeah, yeah there was a couple times. There was a couple times. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, how about how about you? Were you uh, were you a renegade? Were you hitting oh, up man. carnivals and uh, fairs and I, I, all sorts of fun? Were you stealing gallons of milk and downing them in alleys? No. What I think like the period of time I remember was. I think like grade nine, that's when I, I, I actually picked up a bad habit of skipping because I think at some <gasps> point I realized it doesn't matter. <laughs> like, sure. I, I, like there'd be some Fridays where you couldn't skip because I had a, a, one class where the teacher would call. Yeah. But then there's the Fridays where you had classes uh, with the teachers who wouldn't call. And mm-hmm. at that point, I'm like, well, it doesn't matter. Like I'm still going to like. I still have A's in these classes and it's just really no need for me to go because I'd rather like sleep in. And that's kind of like my, I think my dad, my mom would be at work and then my dad would be like going out the door and say, all right, have a good day at school. And I go, bye. And then I'd stay home. And yeah, you're, you're fucking rebel, man. You're the James Dean of the uh, Canadian uh, elementary high school, junior high scene. Yeah, that's right. That was me. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, unbelievable. Yeah. And then I just like, yeah, hang out at home for a while. And then, um, my weekend would have begun early. And, and that's been, where, uh, your life of hard creeping began. Yeah, probably. You yeah. heard it here first folks, uh, skip school, creep on movies. And then one day you can have a podcast too. Just like us. Just like us. Yeah. Eating cheese and <laughs> Melting cheese on bread and, uh, you know, just being a general piece of shit. <laughs> That's, those are goals. <laughs> goals. Creep, creep town. Yeah. So, yep. hey, hey, RJ, what does the 400 blows mean? Farts? Is it farts? Nope. Well, it could if, be. If Fellini made this movie, it would be farts. Yeah. Well, I see, I, it's one of those things where it's just like, you know, you go, what, what does that actually, what does the title so, mean? I actually, uh, so um, as I said earlier, I watched this with my girlfriend and she asked me the same question like halfway through. And I was like, I think it's just because this, this kid gets shit on a lot. Like, yeah, he just ke- keeps getting a lot of uh, morale below. It was like, sees his mom cheating on his dad. And then the teacher fucking berates him in front of the class. Like, just kind of sucks to be this kid. Yeah. That's kind of what I took well, from it. But Yeah, like, from what from what I understand, it's like, because it doesn't really, tr- it's, it's what the 
it translates from the French into the 400 blows, but I guess like the actual French expression uh, is in reference to like raising hell or sowing your wild oats. What? Yeah. That's uh, that's, a, it's, that's it's a, one of those things that gets a bit lost. of a leap. It, it gets lost. No, it's it's one of those weird things that gets lost in uh, from French Bill to Murray. English. Yeah. Yeah. No. Well, that that makes more sense, <laughs> nice. I guess. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you like that little uh, little drop there I did for yeah. you? Yeah. yeah. That's for uh, that's for all those hot viewers out there. You know what I'm talking about. Oh, uh, did you catch the uh, Francois Truffaut uh, cameo in the uh, the rotor uh, graviton scene? He was there. He was in was there. he in the Graviton yes. with the kid? Yeah. Uh, I did not know. I yep. thought those were just French peasants. Yeah. <laughs> Plebs, yeah. as the kids call well, he, them. He kind of was. I mean, like, I won't go too much into his like biography, but I mean, he, he sounds like he had kind of a uh, very similar childhood. Like the yeah. only child, you know, both he was committing petty thefts and truancy from the military and like sneaking out to watch oh. movies and just that's what he Punk wanted to kids. do. Mom that didn't love him and stuff like that. So, I mean, and then, like, I guess, uh, like, because, like, uh, the, the actor who plays uh, Antoine Donnell, uh, Jean-Pierre Lude, uh, he plays um, uh, Antoine Donnell for, like, several other movies over the next, like, 20 years. Wait, this character comes back? Yeah, there's, like, a cycle of these movies. Is this where um, the Marvel movies got their shared universe idea? Uh, they just might have. They just might have. Actually, well, I think, wasn't that more uh, Frankenstein and the Wolfman? Oh yeah, absolutely. So I think maybe yeah. the four hundred blows got its inspiration more from the universal from, horror films. <laughs> yeah, those and the uh, the Abbott and Costellos. Yeah, there you those go. Those are those are the real uh, heroes. Yeah, yeah. We can't wait till uh, Tom Cruise uh, shows up in the Mummy. Am I right? Hey, I'm gonna watch the fuck out of that movie. <laughs> I hear you. <ya. laughs> yeah, I like Tom Cruise, man. Uh oh, you better edit that out of the <laughs> podcast. We're gonna lose people. Um. Oh, wait, so uh, probably one of my like the scene that really blew me away in this movie though uh, was the like footage of those kids watching the puppet show. The, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like because like that was just shooting with real kids and stuff like that, and just like mm-hmm. the the that way that was done, it's like wow, that's like really good. I wish like stuff like that still popped up in movies, but. Well, Alas. when we make our our weird fiction movie, there's it'll this, it'll pop up there's, there. There's this like weird thing now about like grown men filming children. I don't know what's up with that, but yeah, I don't get that either. What a bunch of preverts like that uh, that guy making that movie we talked about earlier. Well, we won't mention it. <laughs> you know, you know what I mean, though. Oh, <laughs> tantalizing radio. Yeah, that's right. Oh, man. Um. Yeah, so well, that brings us to our uh, concluding segment uh, of every Criterion Creep review, and that's what do the people who hated this have to say about this movie? All right, lay it on me. Well, um, just looking on here, I don't know, uh, RJ, maybe they're not that far off from you. Maybe you're the hater. Ooh, am uh, I the guy that hated it? Yeah, uh, maybe. Well, Terry, uh, he gave it two stars, and he mm-hmm. wrote, meandered through this one, not really sure what he was getting at, other than his childhood wasn't great. Vanilla cinematography, vanilla plot, vanilla acting, not great. Jeez, if the, if that guy's calling this vanilla, I'd I'd love to see what he thinks uh, thinks is chocolate, oh, like man. Jurassic World. <laughs> Damn right. Sometimes uh, when yeah okay, I was gonna say sometimes <laughs> when you find these guys with just fucking ludicrous things, go see what their favorite movies are, and we can uh we ha- we'll have a frame of reference here to uh to go off of but anyways keep okay. going well terry's like favorite films are actually uh, not bad uh okay so, well fuck him then 
We need a funny example. <laughs> Fine. Uh, Roger E., he gave this two stars. A very boring black and white French drama with subtitles, which occasionally has some interesting scenes. <laughs> Oh, that's. I think that's a little hard on it. Uh, oh. I think I think anything lower than like a three and a half is just people being pricks. Yeah. Because like I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't that interested in it. But like I can say it's a good movie. Like it deserves a good score. So these guys are just assholes. Maybe. What else you got there? Oh, let's see here. Uh, <laughs> I love when guys start the review. <laughs> yeah, this is obfuscation. Uh, he gave it two and a half stars. Meh. <laughs> still doesn't oh. do still doesn't do much for me. Give me all the adventures of Antoine has following this film instead. I don't, that's what? okay. Yeah, that's what he wrote. But this has that, that raw really yet sense. sappy he's unloved spiel going for it the through how Truffaut apparently grew up. So of course this is the only one that gets acknowledged. Lued is clearly sympathetic in the role. Only the film suffers from its circle, the drain direction that leaves everything back to a lackluster square one mentality. He has a tough road, eventually finds a day to have some fun or his parents aren't jerks that one night. Then that's gone back to the grind of the hardship. He goes repeat over again until it ends makes the film more tiresome than, than engaging, even when it is trying its hardest to make a lasting impact on me. As far as I'm concerned, real start of the French New Wave is Louis Malle's Elevator to the Gallows. So that's, uh, let's take a look, uh, well, you have that to look forward to someday down the road, that Jeez. Elevator to the Gallows. I, th I think this guy doesn't realize that, um, you know, a lot of people do have pretty shitty lives like that. Like, that's a real thing. That's not yeah. just, like, fabricated cinema life. Like, there's a lot of kids who are just fucking ho homeless. So <laughs> this guy's like, oh, a poor kid. It's like, well, it does happen, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it seems like there's just a lot of, like, middle, like, eh, people just, like, not caring for it. Which, I mean, I, sure. That's fine. I don't, I, so I, I, I guess I would be on the upper echelon of uh, mm -hmm. the, the, the mez. I'm at the top of the meh where oh. it's like, yeah, I don't, I didn't care that much, but it is good. Uh, Chuck Chuck Delaney, he might be a listener. Uh, he gave it one and a half stars, and he just said, "Worst porn ever." <laughs> there you go. Okay, I, I'm just gonna start. I'm gonna start leaving that as a review on all of my film or all my movies now. Everything I log, that'll just be my review. Worst porn ever. <laughs> worst porn ever. Yeah, don't breathe. Worst porn ever. Or best depending on how you view turkey basters. Okay, well, I've got one more I, I want to read, because this one I, right. I find interesting. Uh, from okay. Lobaka, uh, one and a half star. Okay. Uh, the movie follows an ill-mannered and annoying boy as he increasingly gets into greater and greater trouble, both at home and at school. I've seen some reviews that discuss him in the context of a sympathetic character, but I really don't see how he's sympath a sympathetic character. He may only be a child, but he's certainly not misunderstood. He's spotted for exactly what he is. He steals, he runs away, he cheats, he's poorly behaved, and he faces the consequences of this by rebelling further. It's very much brought upon himself. In that scene, he doesn't or in that sense, he doesn't seem to be a compelling center for a story, simply as it's him whining about there being consequences for his actions. Um, he's he's not wrong. That's kind of, like sometimes, but okay. I, I, I don't know. You, you, you I, don't I, think I don't so? Th I don't know. I never found him like ill-mannered or annoying or whatever. I mean, he seemed like a kid. 
And... I, I feel like this guy might have, um, like, he might have a son who's, like, <laughs> ditching stuff all the time. Yeah. So he's really, like, jaded about it. He's like, what a piece of shit little kid. Like, yeah. he deserves everything you're, he gets. You're just like that kid in that movie I watched the other night, that 400 <laughs> Blows. You're just like, I'm going to call you Blows. <laughs> yeah. It's like, don't you know you got it good here? <laughs> Busting out the Mike Judge dad voice. <laughs> I'll tell you what. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Dang it, Bobby. Okay. Yeah, all right. Well, there well, you go, I guess. There we go. Well, I think that's it. I've said my piece. You said your piece. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well. Cowabunga. Yep. Well, we'll do a little wrap-up chat after the break. Okay. Five down, 845 plus to go, buddy. We could do that in like a, on a Tuesday or something, no? Yeah, knock it out. Knock it out on Tuesday? Yeah. Okay. Well, this is Criterion Creeps. Follow us on Twitter at Criterion Creeps. Email us at CriterionCreeps at gmail.com. Follow or watch us on Tumblr or something, Criterion Creeps Tumblr thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're on SoundCloud. Yeah, uh, Facebook. Oh, I forgot about Facebook. Ooh, yeah. Forgot that Facebook. Yeah. And who knows? Maybe by the next episode, there will be even more social medias that uh, we have added on there. Oh my! So God. check check every one is yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah. Be a uh, commit. Be a creep. Yeah. Go yeah. on every single social media uh, outlet and just search Criterion Creeps, yeah. and you'll you'll find hot pics of my recording studio behind the Pizza Hut. Uh, maybe I'll upload that a picture of that book from last episode, The Cat from Outer Space. Mm-hmm. There's all sorts of fun things on our uh, on our account, so why not give it a look? What else are you doing? Darn tootin'. And next week, we're going to be talking about probably, I don't know, one of my favorite films. Can't wait to <gasps> rewatch it. <gasps> Crocodile Dundee 2? Yes. Crocodile Dundee 2, spine number six in the Criterion Collection. No! Oh. No. Okay. What be, is it? We're going to be checking out a little French film. We're we're, more, we're still stuck in more France, France, buddy. Eh? Yeah, okay. we're, we're we're kind of stranded in the the Gaelic country, um, watching these mm. these black and whiters. But yeah, no, we're going to be watching uh, Jean Cocteau's Beauty and the Beast, La Sounds Belle hot. et la Bie, from 1946. Is this that uh, new live action remake with uh, Emma Watson? Oh man, yeah, that reminds me. I have to watch that trailer, I guess. Yeah, for the you got to for the episode. Yeah, well, that that's going to be discussed. Uh, that that's it for me, I guess. Well, tune in next week for our erotic take on Beauty and the Beast. Wow. <laughs> Prowl. <laughs>